Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Red Apple Media Podcast Network presents... This is Protecting America. Now, here's Emmy-winning journalist Rita Cosby. And welcome to another edition of Protecting America. I'm Rita Cosby. Crime is rising in so many categories in most major U.S. cities, including New York City. But some stunning new numbers show soft on crime district attorney Alvin Bragg has actually downgraded a majority of felony cases to just simple misdemeanors. So how can we change the cycle of crime if we don't punish the criminal? Joining us now is Angel Masonette. He is a retired NYPD detective. Angel, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on, You know, this is stunning, and I guess it's not so stunning because he said he was going to be soft on crime, essentially, when he was running, that he was into criminal justice reform. But some of these new numbers under Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg, first off, what's just your reaction of a majority of cases? And again, these are felony cases now being downgraded to just simple misdemeanors. That's enormous, 52%. I think it's disgusting. It's clearly a dereliction of duty, right? I think it's also, it goes to speak to why Lee Zeldin came so close when he was running for governor, right? Because people are sick of the crime and people are sick of criminals not being held accountable. Alvin Bragg is acting more like a public defender rather than, you know, the district attorney of New York County, New York City County. So, I mean, there's a lot to dissect here, but basically it's a dereliction of duty in my opinion. What do you think is the reason behind such an enormous amount of numbers downgraded? So much of the city council, as well as Alvin Bragg, they taught themselves as police abolitionists, right? They are with this defund the police thing. I mean, we've gone over Tiffany Caban's policies, the things that she wants to get rid of accountability for criminals. Now she wants to get rid of accountability for people that work, right? Not being able to fire them. That's a whole other story. But so these people are basically, you know, birds of a feather, right? And they're keeping the minorities in New York City dependent upon them. That's exactly what's happening because the majority of victims of violent crime and homicide within the city of New York are black and Hispanic. And the majority of the offenders are black and Hispanic. So the people who he is claiming he's helping under the guise of social justice, which I always like to say, are black and Hispanic people. But in reality, he's helping black and Hispanic criminals, and he's not prioritizing the victims of crime. Why do you think he just doesn't get it? I think he gets it. I think he just doesn't care. I think that, you know, he has this kind of superhero complex. You know, I'm certainly not a psychiatrist, but You know, keeping people dependent upon the government to protect them is dangerous, right? It's dangerous for those who understand how government works. This person is, again, it's part of the bamboozlement of minorities for years that they have to, you know, vote Democrat 
and they have to rely on Democrats to protect them, which there could be nothing further from the truth, which is right. I mean, it's obvious with his policies and all these crime numbers the way they are. He's keeping people dependent upon him, but yet these people are being victimized. It's baffling to me. These people are depending on the very people who are killing them to save them. And it just doesn't make sense. Now, Angel, you've been out there on the street, you know, as a NYPD detective. You're still obviously very heavily involved with law enforcement, beloved by law enforcement, by your background. What are the people in those communities saying to you? Because when I have talked to individuals, whether they're black, white, Hispanic, whatever race, color, creed, they basically say, we just want our communities to be safe. To your point, what are people in the communities actually saying to you? Well, that's it, right? That's it. I still have family who live in the five boroughs. My daughter lives in the city. I mean, she takes the train every day. You know, people want to be safe. It doesn't matter, like you said, skin color, culture, religious background, gender, creed, whatever. We could go on and on and on. People want to be safe and they deserve the right to be safe, right? The problem is it it always falls on the police, right? The police officers do not have the backing of the district attorney and the district attorneys. And there are several rogue judges also, right? Besides the fact that they're taking away the power of the judges to consider the subjects of violent crime history, there are a lot of judges who fall in line with this mentality, right? With this quote-unquote social justice, how the criminal justice system is quote-unquote systemically racist. So people are sick of it, and they want their communities to be safe. Listen, when I became a police officer in 1992, it was the height of the crack epidemic. They wanted us out there. They wanted us out there patrolling the streets. They wanted us out there keeping them safe. They wanted us out there doing our jobs effectively and fairly, which can be done. They both aren't mutually exclusive. That's what people want, and they're entitled to, right? They're entitled to be safe. And unfortunately, his policies, you know, are not keeping them safe. What is the difference, to explain to our listeners, too, the difference between a felony and a misdemeanor? What does that mean to somebody's record? What does that mean and the potential that they'd even get charged, ultimately? Let's take one of my favorites, right, because this has been going on for a long time, uh, assaulting a police officer, right? Assaulting a police officer is a felony, right? Most of the time, especially under Bragg's administration, right, under his watch, so to speak, If the police go with the subject and they bring them to court to the district attorney and they want to prosecute them for assaulting a police officer after a police officer was, in fact, assaulted and hurt, what happens is without conferring with the police department, without conferring with the victim, which would happen to be, in this case, a police officer, they will drop the charges to a misdemeanor assault, to an assault third degree, let's say, which carries up to a year in prison and a certain amount of fines. It's ridiculous. You go from spending five years, looking at five years in prison, right? And the higher the degree of felony, the higher prison time you'll spend to basically getting a slap on the wrist. Some people get desk appearance tickets. Some people just get summonses. Some people get ROR, release on their own recognizance, right? And there's no accountability for these criminals. And I've said it before on your show, if you have children who are bad, and you don't give them consequences, they're going to continue to do bad things, and they're going to graduate to doing worse things, and eventually they're going to do really bad things. The other thing, too, as you point out, misdemeanors also, by the way, as you talk about sort of even lesser offenses, the misdemeanor convictions have spiraled downward 29% so far this year from where it was 68% under a different DA. Doesn't that also just add to your fuel that if you don't get them on the lesser offenses, then it just goes higher and higher? Yes, absolutely. Right. No consequences. People continue to do the wrong thing. It's very simple. If you give people consequences for their actions, right, whether it be good or bad, 
right? They're going to learn from the consequences, right? It's very simple. If you have criminals who are out there and they feel like it's the wild, wild west, right? And they're not getting any sort of, they're not being held responsible for their bad decisions, right? Because everybody has the power of free will. They're going to continue to do bad things. And the people who are, again, are getting victimized are people in the inner city, right? People in the quote unquote ghettos, of New York City and of America, right? Because this is a problem in blue cities all across the country. You have these non-carceral district attorneys, these rogue judges, and they don't want to prosecute these people under, again, the guise of social justice, when in reality, all they're doing is hurting the people who they have took an oath to protect. Talk about the difference it makes to have a DA and to have sort of strong leadership. And you look at like, even under Cyrus Vance, he was a Democrat, but yet, boy, the numbers were much, much higher under him. In fact, the downgrading from felonies to misdemeanors was 39% under him. And you could bet, obviously, under Republican district attorneys, it was, you know, much lower. But even under him, it was 39. Now to Alvin Bragg, it's 52. That's a big difference. It really depends. Leadership is key, right, Angel? Yes, absolutely. Leadership is key. And listen, safety, again, safety is a nonpartisan issue, right? People want to be safe. It doesn't matter whether you vote Republican, Democrat, or whatever the case may be. You want to be safe, right? And when you're putting people in power that do not care about keeping you safe, all they care about is projecting this social justice initiative, quote unquote, then it's obviously not going to work. And people are going to continue, unfortunately, to die or be victims of violent crime because they're not putting, they're not separating the people who don't deserve to be within society. They're not separating them from society. They're keeping, they're recycling them. And it does a lot for the morale for the police department too. Listen, I used to tell all the rookies when I used to talk to them, when they would come on the job and they would stand roll call, I used to tell them, listen, don't take this job serious, right? At the end of the day, it's just a job. But it's very hard when you're doing your job effectively or you're trying to, and you're locking up the bad guys and you're taking them off the streets and trying to protect the neighborhood that you, you know, where you work, where you spend the bulk of your time and then before you're processing paperwork, before you're done processing paperwork, you see them out on the street again, or they're coming into the precinct to collect their property. It's extremely disheartening. It's extremely disheartening for a police officer because it feels like you're fighting, you know, a battle that you can't win. What is the morale of the police right now? Because just like you said, they're working so hard, they're getting them at least arrested. But then, of course, it has to go to the DA's level to make sure it happens and it stays that way. How is the disposition of the NYPD now? The morale is probably the worst it's ever been, right? They're working without a contract. They're out there. They're getting mandatory overtime. The holidays are here, right? We all know what happens with the holidays. Tourism increases in New York City. They're making them work overtime mandatory. They're keeping them away from their families. You have police officers leaving through attrition. You have police officers who are getting fired or forced to leave due to an unlawful mandate, right? We've lost almost 4,000 police officers before the end of the year are going to be gone. The morale is down. You know, again, you feel like you're fighting not only the criminals. You feel like you're fighting City Hall. You feel like you're fighting the district attorney's office. You feel like you're fighting the governor. You feel like you're fighting everyone, and then you feel like you're by yourself. Which is a very scary, scary place to be, and an unfortunate because they're the best among us, Angel. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
you know, talk about also just how bad crime seems to be right now. There seems to be so many of these horrible, violent cases, Angel, where, you know, we've seen the guy, you know, suddenly stab the EMT worker. And we've seen on the subways people getting pushed. The recent case of this guy going over with a baseball bat hitting somebody in broad daylight. Is there an intensity now where crimes just seem people seem more emboldened or crimes have become more violent or are they just making more headlines? I think it's just, again, it goes back to no consequences, right? People are out there and they're committing these violent crimes because they're essentially not afraid of the police because the police aren't allowed to be proactive and aggressive. So they're essentially not afraid, quote unquote, right? Because we don't have, as police officers, we don't want anybody to be afraid of us. But there's not that inherent respect for the police, right? That fear kind of like going to the principal's office, that same sort of fear, right? There's no fear of the police of getting caught for crime. There's no fear of getting prosecuted for crimes. So they're out there and it's basically, it's the wild, wild west, you know? The people who are becoming victims of these crimes are getting fed up. But the worst part about it is, is that there's really nothing, now that the midterm elections are over, they're basically stuck with what they voted for. And it's quite unfortunate. That is a huge, huge issue, too. And as you point out, what, they have to wait till the next election? Yeah, basically. I mean, listen, again, this is why Lee Zeldin got so close, right? Because Lee Zeldin, one of his campaign promises was if he won and he was elected governor of New York, he was going to fire Alvin Bragg, essentially fire him and hold him accountable for not doing his job. And, you know, that's not what happened. So, Governor Hochul could, you know, right now, if she wanted to remove Alvin Bragg for not doing his job. Unfortunately, you know, none of these politicians call him out by name. None of them will hold him accountable for not doing his job because they make it a partisan issue. They play partisan politics with the lives of innocent New Yorkers. They play these politics with the police. And, you know, without the support of the district attorney's office prosecuting these criminals, we could lock them up a million times. If they're released a million and one times, nothing's going to change. What's your reaction to now New York City Mayor Eric Adams saying that he will look at, and the plan is clearly to do, to involuntarily at least get these homeless individuals off the streets, those that are clearly at a risk to themselves and to others that are seriously mentally ill? Is that a change, at least in a positive direction, to make a difference? I think it's a good idea on the surface, right? But I also think that it's a slippery slope and it's going to create a lot of problems. Police, again, right? I said it earlier, 4,000 police are leaving by the end of the year. Police are stretched thin. Not every homeless person wants to be in a hospital or get treatment or even have a home, right? Many homeless, in my experience, many homeless people want to be homeless. As crazy as or ridiculous as it sounds, they enjoy being homeless. They enjoy the freedom. Not every homeless person is mentally ill either. So the fact that people on one side of the coin, they want to say, well, police officers aren't mental health professionals and, you know, they should have violence interrupters and all these other fancy terms for people to come along with them to de-escalate situations. What do you think is going to happen when a police officer is down in the subway, it's 20 degrees outside, and there's a homeless person sleeping on a bench and the police officers tell him he has to get his feet off of the bench or off of the subway car seat, and then he becomes confrontational and they tell him, well, now you're going to have to go to the hospital. It's going to be seen as a form of discipline or punishment, and it's not going to go well. Right. The police are stretched in. Now they're going to have to call for an ambulance. They're going to have to essentially EDP this person, which means emotionally disturbed person. If the person refuses treatment, they're probably going to have to put their hands on them. 
So it's all going to, unfortunately, right, it's going to add to the stress of the NYPD and it's going to add to the stress of the New York City health system, right, health and hospitals, because they're supposed to be taken to a city hospital. So there are no beds. It's going to be a complete mess, in my humble opinion. So how do we deal with the homeless people, especially those that are mentally disturbed? Because as we're seeing, it seems like they're repeating a lot of crimes also as well. Well, so there's a couple of issues here, right? We still have almost a billion dollars missing from Thrive New York City, right? Thrive New York City under the de Blasio administration, which his wife was supposed to be heading up, a billion dollars disappeared essentially from Thrive, right? They were supposed to have intervention centers or some fancy word in boroughs where people who needed mental health services would be able to come and get those services provided by the city. That money's gone. It's missing. These centers are not being utilized, the ones that have been opened, and we don't know where the rest of the money went. So that would have helped, maybe, right? But we'll never know because the money's gone. Now, what has Tish James done about it? The state attorney, she's done nothing. Nobody's investigated these people for this money being gone. She's got uh, Trump renting space in her head, and that's all she seems to care about doing is investigating Trump and his taxes and yada, yada, yada. There's no investigation into what de Blasio and his wife did with this money and everybody else that was in his administration. So that money could have helped, but now we'll never know. Yeah, getting the mentally ill homeless people off the streets is something that needs to be done. But again, a police officer is supposed to make that assessment in a 20 or 30 second conversation with someone they meet on the subway or they meet sleeping on top of a subway vent because it's warm and it's freezing outside. I mean, you know, do you want police officers to make that assessment and take action or don't you? Because the people who are pushing this and people who are saying, yes, this is a good idea, on the other hand, are most of the people that are saying that police don't do enough to de-escalate situations. So they're putting them in a really precarious situation. It is. And then on the other hand, some people are saying no police officers. And that's almost even scarier because what are you supposed to have, you know, people who are barely trained to be able to deal with this situation? That's a frightening premise, too, Angel. Yes, absolutely. And listen, a lot of these people who are homeless, right, they carry weapons to protect themselves. Now, it could be a knife. It could also be a hypodermic needle. Right. Some of them are addicts. Some of them are using drugs. You have a police officer putting your hands on these people. Guess what? When you remove them and they have a bunch of property in the street, guess what? Somebody's going to have to take custody of that property. You can't just remove a homeless person from the subway, and if they have a cart full of their personal belongings, just leave it in the subway and take them away, right? All it's going to do is aggravate them more, and it's going to create more of an issue. Now, somebody's got to go through their stuff. If you're searching through their stuff and you get poked by a hypodermic needle, guess what? Now you got to go on a cocktail. You're going to be sick. I mean, there's so many things that could go wrong with this. It's really a slippery, slippery slope. No, some really great points. And boy, things are complicated. And of course, many people are saying, boy, we should have, the city should have gotten involved much, much earlier before it exploded as it has. And also that goes also certainly for Alvin Bragg, you know, cracking down and he is not doing that. It looks like he's going the other direction. And in the meantime, everybody in New York City and other major cities are put in a very, very precarious situation. Angel Masonette, you are terrific. And by the way, everybody, be sure to subscribe and share this podcast with everyone. Boy, is this information so, so important. Angel, thanks for all you do also to keep us safe. We so appreciate you being with us. Thank you, Rita. It's my pleasure.
And everybody, I'll be back soon with another great edition of Protecting America. And of course, you can catch me every weeknight, 10 p.m. to midnight, on the legendary WABC Radio. This is Rita Cosby, and thanks for all you do to protect America.